Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Oh, excellent. Excellent. So, uh, how was your week, buddy? Um, it was pretty good. It was busy. Um, I spent a lot of time childproofing the house. Uh, she still got in, though. <laughs> oh, it's a good one. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm I'm at the uh, I'm at the point now of the season where the yard work is starting. Mm, um, yeah, and so I've absolutely. gone uh, I've gone full dad mode in that you know there's nothing quite like you know getting everything done in the yard you know re, uh, leaves done you know all that type of stuff and then just standing out there you know hands on hips with the like mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah talking uh, to the neighbor of course yeah That's absolutely like, you, know, you know hands bent over the rake. It is amazing. I mean, there's a list of things that, you know, 10 years ago in my life, I never, ever thought of. I didn't comprehend. I didn't think about. And now, you know, uh, April comes, you know, May in Canada, March in the rest of the world. Um, You know, you get your brown paper bags, you clean up the yard waste. um, You know, you you have to rake, you have to fertilize, you have to aerate. But the, the timing of all these things is crucial. Um, we saw, we, we were walking past a lawn today and they had done their first mow of the season and my wife and I stopped and looked at it and we're like, huh, well, would you look at that? They've done their first mow of the season. Yeah, but in our neck of the woods, in our neck of the woods though, even after the first mow, you've just guaranteed that there's going to be another snowstorm. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because in the Northeast and in Canada, like we get snowstorms on after mother's day for sure. Wow. Right. Like it's only a matter of time. You know, so I've never checked the weather. I feel like more, you know, when this time of the year comes around that I'm just always looking for when the rain's coming, (laughs) you know, just always, always looking for when that, uh, you know, that nice kind of irrigation, (laughs) natural irrigation is coming. Well, we, uh, we, uh, we both grew up like close to Lake Ontario in the St. Lawrence system. I mean, I I remember my dad always saying when we were growing up that May 2-4 was like the guarantee. So basically up until Victoria Day weekend, so May 21st, 22nd, that area. I was going to say around Memorial Day. Yeah, Memorial Day. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Basically, it it was still kind of possible winter every day up until then. May 10th, possible winter. May 1st, possible winter. But May May 2-4, yeah, you're okay. You're okay at that point. You put the boat in. You'll uh, be confident that your flowers won't die. Almost June. That's that's when summer starts. Well, I think on the May 2-4, I mean, that's when you just have – you commit to it either way. That, like, <laughs> even if there's snow, like, you're going to the cottage with a case of beer and putting the boat in. And, like, you know, there could still be ice there, but, like, that's just when you commit. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. It's not so much like an earth science law as it is a psychological law. It's just right. when you when you internally have decided. When you decide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, man, how was your week? Uh, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I mean, we've we've had some interesting uh, sleep developments, but I'll I'll get into that in my topic. Um, otherwise, it's been pretty good, you know. Um, the Sens won a game. TFC has finally started in the Champions League. Yes, you must Leon. be excited about yeah, MLS. Super, super excited. Oh my god. Anyway, can't even. We'll we'll talk about that later. Jays have started. It's baseball season. I mean, uh, things most are wonderful just, time of the year. Ah, uh, I mean. This this historically is when you and I have gone on our international globetrotting baseball adventures. Um, you know, with the pandemic rolling around, it just it makes me miss it so much. I want to be in a cheap hotel room with you, Christian. And uh, taken out of context, I can see why that would be a problem. But I miss you. I buddy. see no problem with that statement whatsoever. 
Because that means we're about to watch, like, you know, the Cincinnati Reds play the Arizona mm. Diamondbacks or something like that in, you know, or hopefully random someday, American town, USA. Hopefully someday the Altoona Curve, mm. the Long Island Ducks. Oh, someday. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get to all the minor league ballparks. One of these. Now our wives will never let us do that. Let's be real. <laughs> I, uh, I had a weird dream. Speaking of baseball last night. Okay. Uh, okay. This is this is genuinely true. So, I, I mean... We all dream differently, but I went to bed at a normal time. I don't really remember any of my dreams from like the first six hours or so. I woke up fairly early this morning, looked at my clock, went back to bed, had a crazy intense dream that I remember all of. So for the majority of the dream, I'm jogging around a little county here in Ontario, Prince Edward County, beautiful little kind of mm, island, almost spot. peninsula island uh, county. And that's also Lake very Ontario. specific. Yeah, I know, right? I know. And in my dream, I was, I mean, there's no way you couldn't, it would take you, oh God, some listener is going to correct me on Google Maps, but like a long time, a full day to run around Prince Edward County, I think, if if you could even do it. I mean, it's a big county. Uh, be like running around Niagara or something like that. So anyway, I run around and I get to the end and I'm exhausted. And I arrive at this little cottage and winery, perfect Prince Edward County. And I get in there and, and who of course is in there, but my old good friend, um, Carlos Beltran, you know, obviously, um, you know, he's there to, he frequents uh, that area. I I assume, I I have to assume. Yeah. So in my dream, um, he's telling me, he's giving me advice on fatherhood. So I'm looking at him like this legend of baseball. And I, even in my dream, I called him. Uh, yes, of course, Mr. Beltran, sir. And he's Do telling me- Do we even know if he has kids? I, so, as you can imagine, I looked it up today on Wikipedia. He does have three kids, which okay, is what so he okay. said he had in my dream. Okay, oh, so he is God. educated on the topic. Okay, I excellent. Know, okay. I know. Um, and then I dreamed I hit a home run and I woke up. So, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting dream, but it was about baseball and fatherhood. Did you just spontaneously end God, up on a baseball night. diamond? Like, how did yeah, you? Yeah, so we, no, we okay. walked out, we walked out of the house and behind the house was a baseball diamond, kind of like this field of dreams. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we, we, baseball. field of dreams. It wasn't okay. corn, but just, I mean, it was a field but it was a winery in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And so we're, we're throwing around and Carlos Beltran is in the outfield. He's not pitching to me. Um, but he's in the outfield and, um, my wife pitches to me and I take like a couple of strikes. And then on the third one, I hit a dinger. And pretty soon after that, I don't really remember the end. I woke up, but Carlos Beltran gave me fatherhood advice last night, Christian. And you hit a dinger. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Sounds like you kind of peaked at the beginning of the day there. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was all a downhill slide. It was all downhill from there. Well, uh, well, do you want to get this podcast started, Christian? Yeah. Yeah, man. Let's go. Load it up. From either side of Niagara Falls, welcome to Dad Joke Loading, the podcast about two dads surviving fatherhood, one week and one dad joke at a time. He's Christian. I'm Chris. Um, and we've got a few new uh, hot topics to bang on about this week. But first, we're going to start with some thank yous, as always. Um, thank you to our uh, incredible producer, Ryan. Thank you for everything you do, my friend. Uh, Michael Spicer, Michael Spicer Music, from all of the uh, stingers you hear to the intro music. Michael Spicer, check him out. And Vishal, the vet cartoonist, 
just a really incredible, talented person, but um, in particular, an illustrator. Um, and you should check him out, the vet cartoonist, Michelle. And of course, as always, thank you to our wonderful wives, our incredible families, and our daughters, and everyone who allows us to do this and supports us uh, through it all. So, um, once again, we're going to talk to you about a few things this week, uh, but Christian and I are really excited about one particular thing that is coming as the spring is in the air and I hear the birds outside. We have nice weather in the mornings as I sip my coffee. Christian, what time of year is it? It is baseball season. Hot damn. Maybe she was in line at the bank. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty excited. Um, I've watched a few Jays game, games this week. Um, been getting in that kind of baseball mood where I got Field of Dreams queued up, but we'll talk about some baseball movies later on this episode. Um, Christian, um, do you uh, before we get into our deeper topics this week, do you do you have anything baseball related that you want to mention to start off? My fantasy team is terrible. Mm, sorry to hear that, my friend. Well, but on paper it should be good. Um, you know, I got Clayton Kershaw, Juan Soto, uh, Juan Francisco Soto. Lindor. Like that's I've got a, I feel like I have a good team. You've got a top um, end lineup there. But uh, yeah, sitting uh, sitting down in the now. I mean, it's early, of course. Uh, it's early, but sitting down in the uh, down in the basement there right now. What uh, uh, what type of league you in? Rotisserie uh, it, or it is a rotisserie. Uh, it is a rotisserie, um, which I will maintain is the only way to do fantasy baseball. Absolutely, Be- because only it league is, that I'm in, and it's it is history. the only way that you can truly identify over the course of the year the large sample size whose team is the best. Hmm. So hmm. Uh, now there are always ways to manipulate every system, and that's just the way that it is. But I've never been a fan of head-to-head in baseball because it's like you you know you get the random guy who hit three dingers yeah. in a game, and that could change the whole outcome of your whole season. There's you so know, much variability over the course of a week. Uh, or sorry, over the over the course of a season that a single week is not able to define whether a team is better or not. I like it a little bit more in hockey, and I don't know why. Maybe I'm just used to it that way. And of course, football, that's like traditional. Football, that makes sense. They it's play a very week-by-week week, right? week type of series. Uh, exactly, of season. yeah. But yeah, baseball, very different, very different. Well, let's dive in. Uh, we'll talk about, we'll, we'll get into some heavy, heavy baseball later in this episode. But we're going to start off with our uh, traditional stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about fatherhood. So, Christian, this week I've been making a few changes at home. Okay. Um, in particular, so we've talked the last few episodes about how, how my daughter has finally rounded a corner and having these beautiful middle-of-the-night sleeps where she just will, you know, fall asleep on a normal schedule, will feed her once, then she'll wake up on a normal schedule. Life is great. Um, but this week she has learned how to roll. She's learned how to flip on her side. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, where we're, I go to wake her up in the middle of the night and she's fast asleep on her side. Happy as can be, just like I am, you know, just like I am. But it's something you're not used to. And when I, when we, my wife um, wakes her up in the morning, again, fast asleep on her side. And so that got me thinking about this whole topic of swaddling. Now, we've probably heard um, lots of different conflicting things on swaddling. I know I have about... What's the right approach? What are the pros and cons? Why do we do it? Why do you have to stop at a certain time? It just seems very confusing in that there should be a simpler answer. 
And so with me kind of thinking that about that a lot over the past couple of weeks, it's something that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this week. Sure. Um, you know, your daughter is a year and a half. Mine is half a year. So you have more experience in this. I know you and I were sharing our sleep sack Joyce recently. And yes. uh, so that's something I wanted to kind of dive into. So if I may, let me start off by asking you, um, can you think back to the time when you made a transition? Well, let me start from the very beginning, actually. Let me back up even further. Did you did you swaddle from the start? Yes, we did. Um, yes, we did swaddle from the start. Um, and as part of that, um, because our daughter slept in a bassinet next to our bed. Um, and now this was not right away. You know, obviously, when she was very tiny, she basically slept on one of us, essentially, um, you know. But, um, yes, once she was kind of in her bassinet um, next to the bed, um, you know, we did swaddle her every night. Right. OK, excellent. Me, too. So far, everything you're describing is exactly what we did as well. Can you think back to the time when you made the transition away from swaddling? Um, when that happened, let's start with that and kind of what prompted you to make that decision at the time? Um, well, I will admit, uh, right away that my wife is much more educated on this, um, than I am. And so I feel like a lot of the decisions were driven by things that she had read, um, which is totally fine. Um, and I was happy to read those things as well and, uh, kind of offer our opinions, but I think it was, um, probably in around the five to six month range when we realized, um, you know, when she started to roll. So I think right. kind of basically right where you are at. Um, and I think the, um, you know, the safety aspect of it obviously is what people I think is where the controversy comes from, um, which is just, you know, if they are swaddled and they roll over, you know, is that going to be safe for them? Um, right. And, and that type of thing. So I think once she, we realized that her mobility was going to start to, um, you know, potentially become an issue. Um, or even that, you know, uh, they talk about, um, you know, when, when infants move, uh, you know, they have, uh, now I'm blanking on the name of that reflex they have, you know, where they feel like they're falling. Um, mm-hmm. if they can't uh, support themselves or stabilize themselves, you know, then they wake up. Right. So there's that, um, aspect to it as well. Um, so I think once those things started coming into the mix, probably around five to six months old, that's when we transitioned out of, um, out of swaddling. Right. Absolutely. And uh, so that's, I'm, I mean, spot on the money with you. That is exactly where we are at as well. We are at about five months and we're starting to make that transition. And um, so listeners out there who are new parents or not at that stage yet or um, not parents yet are <clears throat> maybe wondering why that is. Why can you swaddle for a certain amount of time? And then why can't you after? And what do you do after? Um, I know that you know, when I was younger, I looked at babies just kind of wrapped up. I didn't, I didn't think about it harder than that. You know, they're wrapped in a blanket, they're comfy. You know, what, what could you possibly be doing other than rolling them and why? Um, so swaddling is a type of essentially tight blanket. You know, it's a blanket that's providing a hug at the same time. Um, it's not supposed to be so tight that they can't breathe, but of course there is an increased incidence of respiratory conditions associated with it because it's so tight, but that's really, if you're just doing it over tight, you're at a higher risk of that. So essentially the idea is it's a, it's a close hug and, uh, there've been multiple, uh, lines of evidence, multiple, uh, articles that have demonstrated that, 
Um, they have lower stress, essentially lower incidence of crying, uh, longer sleeps, lower incidence of waking up during sleeps um, as a result of swaddling. And so it, it's helpful for sleep. I know that my own daughter, when we would swaddle her prior to bed, would kind of fall asleep right away. Is that is that what you felt as well, Christian? When you swaddled, did you notice uh, an improvement in sleep? Um, to be honest with you, I don't necessarily know that I noticed an improvement. Um, I'm sure it happened, um, but to be honest with you, it's it's been a it's it's been a hot minute since we did that. Um, right, right. So, right. Um, so I don't recall Over that specifically, but um, I do know that um, she did respond better to the bassinet overnight when swaddled. So then I guess my answer then is yes, I did notice a better uh, a better outcome that way because um, we would use the bassinet for a couple of different, I mean, sometimes we would use it to change her, you know, it was just easy because that's where it was. We had bassinets um, in multiple locations. Um, so when we had her in the downstairs, we had a bassinet and then we had the exact same bassinet up in the um, bedroom so that she would get used to it. Um, again, whether or not that was actually a, uh, a deciding factor in whether or not she slept better. I have no idea. I like to think so. It makes me feel better about the decision, um, but uh, with <laughs> zero empirical evidence behind it. Um, but uh, yes, once we were swaddling, I do feel like um, her ability to settle did increase for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed that as well. And I often kind of thought to myself, why, why would that be? Why does she settle? Um, I feel like it limits movement. So, you know, her arms flailing back and kind of that falling, waking her up. You mentioned, you know, those reflexes before. Um, I felt like that kind of Im improved that aspect. And, you know, you and I both know um, a fairly famous uh, animal welfare researcher named Temple Grandin. Um, she's talked about a lot in veterinary circles. And she she all often talks about kind of that pressure and that hug being something that uh, reduced cortisol as well. So I feel like we noticed an improvement in sleep um, when we were doing it. <clears throat> but again, I didn't understand why you couldn't. And that relates to movement, as Christian said, rolling. So the idea is when you swaddle, the arms are kind of tucked right in at the torso. Um, and as a result, you know, kind of centrally right, right in front of the body. And when that happens, if they roll onto their front, it limits their ability to move in such a way that they can breathe. Um, and, and so it can hinder breathing. Um, so swaddling has been done in many, many cultures for a really long time, dating back to before the 18th century. Um, but really, it became a, a lot bigger in the early 2000s with um, some research. In particular, one pretty famous or popular article by a guy named Van Slaven, who published in Pediatrics back in 2007, where he looked at all of the benefits, and that's a really heavily referenced article, and a lot of things come back to it, talking about limiting physiologic distress, better motor organization, more self-regulatory ability, improved neuromuscular development, reduction in excessive crying, um, and soothing of pain, all being benefits of swaddling. But then they talked about at the end that it can um, potentially increase the risk of things like sudden infant death syndrome. And of course, that is what's something that's been noticed uh, more uh, with swaddling in the last 10 to 15 years. And so the, the question about, you know, when to do it and how to do it, um, they find that the lowest the lowest risk factors for sudden infant death syndrome are when you're swaddling on their back um, in the very early months when they can't really roll, and then during the time when they can roll, so kind of four months and onward, 
um, that they should uh, be in something where their arms can move a little bit more freely. Um, and so that, of course, this is a, a controversial topic and pediatricians or, or moms or dads out there, if you feel really strongly one way or the other, you know, let us know, send us an email, dadjokeloadingpodcast at gmail.com. Thought I'd work that in there. Um, nice you know, let, <laughs> let us know because we're, you know, it, it is a controversial topic and, and, you know, we're dads going through this for the first time. So what we transitioned to was a sleep sack. Um, which is something that I had never heard of before being a dad. And now I'm obsessed with because I wish I had a sleep sack. It's basically a sleeping bag. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's a sleeping bag where your arms are free outside of the sleeping bag to move around. Um, so Christian, you were actually telling me uh, not too long ago that your daughter still, you know, a year and a half in is still in sleep sacks. And I've heard of uh, children being in, in them as old as, you know, three years old sometimes. So um, what, uh, what prompted you to move to the sleep sack and, and have you been satisfied with them since you made that transition? Well, first off, I'm just going to quickly revert back to something you just said, which is, um, as we talk about these things, listeners, like we are two dads and everybody has their own method of doing things. Um, and so we are by no means experts on these particular things. We are merely Absolutely. talking about our experiences and we would love to hear yours. So we uh, are literally schmoes. We are just right. people uh, who are dads like many billions of dads before us just trying to figure this out. We have we are. Not yeah, just trying to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so, um, so that being said, um, we actually kind of uh, had a two-stage sleep sack transition, I suppose, um, in that in the initial stages when we left the swaddling world, um, we went into a sleep sack that was uh, looked a little more like a starfish. Um, and so she was still... Um, fully covered, um, meaning that her arms were still wrapped in something, um, but she was free to move them. Um, as opposed to now, we are in one that looks a little bit more like uh, overalls, I guess, for lack of a better term. So it's like sleeveless on the top, but then it zips all the way around her feet. So she can still kick and roll and everything, but her arms are fully exposed right. as opposed to the initial stages where her ar her arms weren't fully exposed, but still completely movable. In the starfish. Uh, in the starfish, correct. Yeah, so her, uh, so her little hands could be exposed um, and so that she can move, um, of course, um, but that her arms were still covered. And we use that more so from the just temperature modulation um, aspect of it, you know, just making sure that she was still warm at night um, and everything like that. Cause she was still obviously very little as of now where she wears, you know, pajamas and, you know, that type of thing. And we are more comfortable with her again, being, you know, 18 months or so uh, almost 20 months now. Um, you know, so we use that and it honestly, it is phenomenal. Um, she loves it. Um, I don't have any good tips on how we got her to like it because she just loved it from the start. Yeah. Same, um, same with ours. I mean, it just seems kind of like natural. I mean, it's, it, it, it is that hug. Of... Cause you mentioned the swaddling being the hug. It still is almost that, you know, you still feel that comfort. It's like, I feel like it's the adult equivalent. You know, when you 
um, you know, just kind of like get into the covers and you like wrap them yes. around yourself and you kind of oh, just like yes. nestle into Absolutely. bed. Like, I feel like it's the kid version of that. Oh, well um, said. But well then said. went with the freedom to just still move around um, because uh, our daughter does move a lot when she sleeps. So I notice when I wake up, you know, she'll kind of, you know, like toss and turn a little bit. And she actually, my daughter now is actually in the um, pillow stage, believe it or not. She has this little itty bitty tiny pillow. Pillow, It's adorable. And so sometimes she'll pull it over and use it or she'll hug it, um, you know, with this type of thing at <laughs> night. So um, it, the, the freedom of movement, I find, is is beneficial to her now. Whereas it's funny because I we promote that not that we promote that i suppose but we use that now as opposed to obviously with swaddling in the beginning the movement is something we didn't want right um and so it gives her that freedom and flexibility with the comfort and kind of the um coziness and safety net that is the sleep sack so right right um, it's well said it's fan full fans 10 out of 10 would recommend <laughs> me too me too 100 percent. and i think um i think you you've hit it you know right on that they um be, by virtue of the way that it's all sealed off and they have those nice materials and it's warm it gives them that comfort um, but still giving them physical mobility so that they are not quite as liable to have any kind of respiratory or vascular complications if they get into the wrong position um, overnight. So sleep sacks, big fan all the way. Uh, but talking about getting into the wrong position, when I was, uh, when we were really, really new at this, you know, the first couple of months, I think the thing that I thought about the most and that I was scared about the most was, of course, like so many dads, I had unfortunately Googled the term SIDS, uh, sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah. And basically, like the way the way that it's described is that it happens at nighttime. Uh, there's things you can do to potentially reduce the risk, but it can happen to anyone. Good luck with that. Um, and it's like the only thing that I worried about. Like everything else, I was like, "No, she's fine. It's going to be fine." But somehow they take the you know the power out of your hands and say, "Well, when you fall asleep, she, you know, something bad could happen." And it makes it really difficult to kind of reconcile with that. Do you remember when you were a new dad Christian thinking about SIDS at all and worrying about it at all? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like just being a girl dad, I feel like when you fall asleep, something bad can happen to her will happen literally until the end of time um, because that's just being a parent. But um, it regard or sorry, regarding specifically what you were talking about, um, in the initial stages, I wasn't as concerned about it, meaning that when we brought her home from the hospital in the first several weeks, we basically had shifts of being basically awake with her. Um, though Even though she was sleeping, we were up. So I was always very comfortable because it was either if she was sleeping, she was literally right next to me or on top of me. And if I was sleeping, she was with my wife. Um, and so... Um, in that standpoint, in the initial stages, I at least knew that somebody was with her. And so that fear didn't necessarily creep in until we got to a point where she was, as I mentioned earlier, sleeping in the bassinet, um, where she was next to us still. But of course, we had to sleep at some point, um, being that, you know, when my wife went back to work, we were both back at work. Um, you know, we had to sleep at some point, of course, to be well, semi-functioning adults anyway. Um, but one thing that actually really helped us, which I would highly recommend to any new parent, is we very early, I mean, people talk about baby monitors and things of that nature. 
we very early on got our daughter used to um, um, a foot monitor. And basically it was a pulse ox um, on her foot. And so for people who don't know what that is, essentially it measures oxygenation at a distal extremity to make sure that oxygen and is flowing and at an appropriate saturation level um, at a distal part of the body or a distant part of the body, uh, which means that it's obviously circulating everywhere. Um, and so we, even as young as a couple of months old, um, got this little uh, machine, uh, essentially a machine. It's almost like a sock, right? With a, with a pulse ox on it, uh, wrap it around her foot, connects to your smartphone. And so it alarms you if, your oxygen level or heart rate or whatever drops below a certain level. Um, and so that was something my, again, full credit to my wife. Um, she was the one who looked into it, found it, said, Hey, we're going to use this. And I was like, this is a brilliant idea. Um, and so once we kind of got that as well, um, much like the, uh, if you have listened to a previous episode, we talked about like the poop tracker, um, you know, in the initial stages, it was like looking at it every single time to be like, okay, is she, is her, is her oxygen still good? Is it still good? Is it still good? Um, and it's never not been good. So we are very lucky that way. Um, and she still uses it to this day. So we have it on our smartphones and it alarms us if for whatever reason it goes below, um, you know, a certain level. So I think that was something that really helped us. Um, you know, did it eliminate the stress altogether? No, of course not. Because as a new parent, you're going to be um, always worrying about those things, um, even if those worries are potentially unfounded. Um, you know, just being new to this and learning this entire kind of process for the first time. Um, but that was something that really, really helped us. Cool. That's really interesting. I actually have never heard of that before. And uh, I had no idea. That's really, really cool. Um, for, for listeners out there who uh, maybe haven't heard of them before, pulse hoxes are one of those things that just beep a lot in an ICU. Um, and there's a reason we yes, use them if you listen to If you listen to, uh, or say listen to, yeah, if you watch Grey's Anatomy um, or any of those shows, yeah, typically the pulse ox is the thing that's going beep, beep, <laughs> yeah. beep. And sending so. off alarms all the time when it falls off. But that's yeah. really, really cool. I think it's uh, an interesting idea. And there's a reason we use them in the ICU, that it takes your stress level down to just be able to see that happy number. So that's really, really cool. Uh, I find that really interesting. Christian, have you ever heard of the cardboard box technique? I have not. So in um, this started with a, an article that um, I think was published by the BBC back in 2013, um, when they talked about in Finland, it's fairly common um, that so a new mother will be sent a cardboard box, which contains quite a lot of new, um, you know, new motherhood, new baby supplies in there. Very smart idea. And they say that the cardboard box uh, has twofold value, that it can also be used as a crib. And the underlying claim is that a cardboard box crib reduces the incidence of SIDS. Now, this is something that um, hasn't been really well studied, unfortunately. So in 2017, a New York Times article was published where they investigated a lot, or I shouldn't say investigated, discussed this issue with a lot of uh, pediatricians who said, you know, this isn't really well studied. Please be cautious about this. We have a very small sample size. But I'm looking at these boxes and they're functionally just cribs. They're cribs with like slightly less thick mattresses. And it got me thinking about whether the softness and thickness of a mattress, since I'm sure you and I both heard that a firm mattress is what's recommended to reduce SIDS. Right. Um, if that's really all that it comes down to, if that's the only functional difference here. 
Um, and it got me thinking that maybe that uh, that's kind of really the bugaboo of the issue is how how much do they sink into the place that they're sleeping and how firm uh, should that be? So anyway, came across the cardboard box uh, topic and got me thinking, but definitely have not tried my daughter in a cardboard box. Anyway, thank you, Christian, for all of your uh, discussion about sleep sacks. I've, uh, we're going to continue this adventure, and I'll report back to you next week to let you know how it's going. But for now, we're going to take a break. This is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast, and we'll be back in a minute. Hey, Michael Spicer here. I'm a sound designer and a composer. I have a sound library that's metaphorically bursting at the seams. Oh! Uh... Look at all these sounds all over the place now. Like this typewriter. Wow, look at him go. Glass breaking. Watch your feet. Body falls. It's just a guy falling. If you need sounds or music for your project, go to michaelspicermusic.com! And welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. This is Christian, alongside my co-host Chris. And Chris, it's baseball time. It's baseball time. I feel like we need to like the do 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 do, or like all of the like you know MLB uh, you know intro songs and everything. But before we get into that, um, we wanted to let you know really quickly, um, as we mentioned in the previous segment, that we'd love for you to get in contact with the show, uh, Dad Joke Loading Podcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Twitter at Loading Dad. And on Instagram at Dad Joke Loading Podcast. So please check those out um, because a lot of what we talk about, um, and specifically in these next couple of segments, will be featured on there as well. Um, and so, Chris, in the spirit of the spring, um, as the chalk gets put down on the baselines, mm. you know, as the uh, the mounds get dug in, you know, as the bases get put in, um, you the know, fresh it, grass smell and that that mm-hmm. whip of the of the ball right into the leather of the glove it's just it sounds so much like springtime it's so unique and identifiable and you just know baseball season has started so we're going to talk a little bit about baseball no we're going to talk a lot of bit about baseball in a minute uh but i thought that our recurring segment today uh should be baseball themed and so uh we're going to do a little bit of baseball in our recurring segment called rapid fire And so, Chris, to get us in the baseball mood, I have some baseball-themed rapid-fire questions for you. Excellent. Um, So excited. In the interest of keeping the listeners happy, you know, God give the people what they want. Uh, Let's make this truly rapid, um, and and we'll try to make it not 20 minutes. Um, But, uh, Chris, (laughs) so I have about six questions here, um, and I'll give my answers, too, as we go. But, Chris, are you ready for baseball rapid-fire? I'm ready. Put me in, coach. All righty. Here we go. All right. Top of the first. All-time favorite Blue Jay. Mm. Well, leading off, this one, this this is an easy one for me. When I was growing up in the 2000s, my favorite wearing that black jersey with the angry J on it is Orlando Hudson, O-Dog, second base, um, absolutely my favorite baseball player, always a positive attitude, incredible defensive player, decent batting average, not an offensive uh, star, but defensively and character, incredible, and uh, he just attracted me to the to the team from uh, day one, Orlando Hudson. How about wow, you? I don't know that I would have ever guessed that. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. Um, all righty, top of the second here. 
Uh, I'm going to expand it a little bit to give you a little bit more freedom here to say, do you have another non-Blue Jay, so another all-time favorite MLB mm. player? It, that's a that's a good question. I mean, of course, classically, when I go down that list in my head, I'm like, well, my favorite is Orlando Hudson. So who's my favorite MLB player? Uh, Roy Halladay. Ah, shit, he's a Blue Jay. Uh, Shane and Stewart. Ah, shit, he's a Blue Jay. Um, no, so Roy Halladay's to- a good one, though. Yeah, of course, absolutely. So I had to think uh, carefully. And of course, I had some Canadians going through my head. Joey Votto, Matt Stairs, Jason Bay, some classics. But I went with my, to me, the most lovable, incredibly talented, one of the absolute greatest baseball players of, of all time, Ichiro Suzuki. Ooh, the, nice. The Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, Ichiro, uh, the legendary aspect of his career, coming over so late, breaking the MLB hitting record at sorry, the professional hitting record, Um, you know, just an incredible character uh, opening up Japanese baseball, Um, Ichiro Suzuki. How about you? Uh, Mine was actually, so being a uh, baseball player myself um, and specifically a left-handed pitcher for most of my, I was going to say career, that makes it sound like I had a baseball career. Most of my baseball playing days, um, I idolized a lot of left-handed pitchers. Mm. Um, and so uh, I chose to go with um, Randy Johnson because mm. uh, I grew up idolizing yeah, left-handed pitching. That and, was our uh, time as well. He, uh, yeah, he just, when he was on the mound, it was, it was just game over. So Randy Johnson was mine. All right. Top of the third favorite Blue Jays moment. Mm. This was a hard one for me because of course, you know, going back, everyone thinks of Joe Carter, but I was, I mean, I was really, really young when that happened. I mean, well before even my consciousness. So I went with, to me, what has become in my adult life, the best Blue Jays moment, which was the Bautista bat flip. Of course, I mean, you, we, any Blue Jays fan listening to this doesn't need any explanation to what this is. Um, but if you're not a Blue Jays fan, um, essentially it had been one of the craziest innings in Major League history of all time. I think it was the seventh inning, Texas Rangers. Um, and essentially, uh, I mean, a few things happened. I won't go into the details, but some things that I had never seen in baseball before, like what happens when a catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher and it rockets off the bottom of the bat of the Texas Rangers hitter. Um, I mean, I've been watching baseball my whole life and I'd never seen that happen in a professional game. And here it was happening in the playoffs in a deciding game, late, late innings. And uh, so then um, essentially long and short of it is, It came to our legendary hitter, um, one of the most iconic Blue Jays of all time, Jose Bautista, who went deep into the count and launched a rocket of a dinger over the outfield wall to um, give the Blue Jays the win and ultimately the series. I was working in my uh, internship at the time. I was working a long late shift and my intern mate who was off that day um, called me while I was at work. I had the game recording at home. And uh, here I was in hot San Diego cheering for the Jays, uh, three hours, uh, different time delay, uh, recording the game. And I got a call and I pick up the phone and I say, uh, you know, hey, how's it going? And he says, oh, my God, you have to see what's happening now. And I said, I love you, Brett. And I hung up the phone uh, because I didn't (laughs) want to know what was happening. So I went home late that night. I poured a drink and at like one in the morning Pacific time, watched Bautista launch that rocket and, and this bat flip where he just threw down the bat. I mean, he shouldn't have had his hand in that position on the bat. Why was he? Why did he even have it there for that menacing grimace of a fastball bat flip uh, through in foul territory? And uh, to me, 
I'm really sorry. That is absolutely not a rapid fire answer. Um, <laughs> but the Jose Bautista bat flip is my uh, is mine. How about you, Chris? Okay. Well, in the sake of not repeating the answer, I'm going to go with Joe Carter um, and touch a ball, Joe, uh, because I had a uh, VHS of the Blue Jays back to back World Series championships, and I watched it all the time as a kid. Wow. Like once a week, probably. <laughs> um, I watched that video of those two seasons. And so, of course, culminating with Touch em All, Joe. So, um, so that's mine. All right. Top of the fourth. Uh, favorite baseball movie. Mm, this was this was a good one. So obviously in the intro, I referenced a baseball dream. So you would think Sandlot or what I referenced, Field of Dreams. But actually, it's neither of those. It's a more modern movie. One of my favorite books of all time by one of my favorite authors of all time, Michael Lewis. And that is the movie Moneyball. Stayed true to form, a very timely, topical, a great, interesting, well-characterized, reasonably accurate to the actual plot. Um, really, really interesting. And obviously, we've seen the explosion of baseball and sports analytics in the last 20 years uh, since that movie was set back in 2002. Um, bottom of the fourth, Christian, what about you? What's your favorite movie? Uh, so mine is The Sandlot, um, nice, and mainly nice. just because of the nostalgic aspect of all of it. Um, the iconic lines, characters, you know, you're killing me, Smalls. Do you want um, some more? So, haha. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, uh, Sandlot, uh, again, had a VHS. I hope I still had the VHS. I should ask my parents. Um, uh, I'm sure they do though. Um, so, all right. Top of the fifth year, an earliest baseball memory that you have. Mm. This, this was a great one for me because it's one of my greatest, um, memories of all time. So as a child, one of my dad's good friends was the operator. I believe the producer of video content for the Jumbotron. Um, and so as a result, my dad, who was an architect, got to work on the 3D model um, of the Skydome that they kept in the in the lobby because um, he was a modelist and an architect. So he was pretty good at maintaining. And it these will things. forever be called the Skydome. The Skydome. Sorry, the Rogers Center. Uh, but of course, the Skydome. I, the Skydome. I, I thought they should have called it. You know, I understand Rogers owns the team. They should have called it the Rogers Skydome. And then you would get the best of both worlds. It's still the Skydome. It's always the Skydome. Anyway, so the motor, the the model for the Skydome had a motorized roof. Um, and so he had to, to maintain that roof every once in a while. I remember it, you know, sitting in the garage and, and working on that model. Um, but as a result of that, and because my dad was friends with this guy, um, we got a, a kind of behind the scenes tour of the Sky Dome, I think when I was seven years old. So this was back in, you know, well, I won't say at the time, but the, in the 90s. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and I got to meet Pat Henkin. I got a Pat Henkin Oh, no uh, way. I didn't know that. Yeah, on my, uh, uh, well, on a baseball that he just gave me. Uh, walking in that concrete cavern, echoey concrete cavern under the Sky Dome. And we got to go on the field where my dad got to hit some balls to me as I chased them. And I remember chasing them uh, in what at the time felt like the deepest corners of center field, but was actually probably about halfway between the second baseline and home plate, me running after these little kind of pop-ups that my dad was hitting to me. Um, and I remember seeing Devin White flip out the inside pockets of his uh, baseball pants. So I did the same thing as I was running on the Skydome AstroTurf as my dad hit pop-ups to me in the infield. Um, and that was uh, that is my probably my favorite childhood baseball memory. Many, many more after that minor league baseball. But uh, yeah, Skydome um, with my dad. How about you? I literally have never heard that story until just now. <laughs> well, that's why we do this podcast. Yeah. To, to learn you more met Pat about Haken. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, man. 
That's awesome, man. Uh, well, mine is um, not necessarily related to Major League Baseball, but playing baseball. As I've mentioned before, I mm. started playing baseball um, at a very, very early age. Um, and, and played and, competitively for a long, long time. I still remember when we were correct. in university, you playing somewhat competitively as well. So Correct. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Um, one of my uh, my vivid memories was actually, um, now this is going to sound really lame. Um, it, it probably was. Um, but I was on a T-ball all-star team when i was very little a traveling t-bar t-ball all-star team and um i don't know why i remember this but uh we were playing in a particular tournament um and we were playing a team called the turtle club now the turtle club were actually (laughs) from barbados wow so like this just goes to show how like so this was an international t-ball uh tournament we were playing the turtle club and uh, it came down to the last inning and we won the championship because uh, a particular teammate of mine uh, managed to uh, score from second on what on. I mean, again, when you're like playing T-ball and you're five years old, you know, a ground ball to the infield could end up in either triple play or a grand slam. You don't know because you're five. Um, but uh, she ended up being able to score. Um, and my coach at the time said that if we won the championship, he would shave his head. And so he had to shave his head after the game. And I vividly remember <laughs> my coach shaving his head after the game. So, um, and so, and I still have that trophy, believe it or not. It's one of the few trophies that I've kept. Um, and so that's one of the earliest memories I have um, because my parents drove me everywhere all the time. My dad ended up being my coach for a long time. Uh, so I remembered that vividly. So um, that was mine. All right. Last one. We're only going to do six innings. So we'll call this like a, you know, a, a simulated <laughs> is a, game. With the, yeah, yeah. With the new rules, this is a double header. Yeah. This is the double header. Exactly. Yeah. Um, favorite thing to do at a major league ballpark. Mm, so this this is a good one. I mean, we've we've mentioned what my favorite thing to do in a ballpark is before in this podcast, and that is something you and I both love to do: scoring a game. Yep. Um, ever since my dad taught it to me when I was really young, in the middle of the program at Jay's games, I've done it for pretty much every game I've ever attended live, and also TV games if they're playoffs or or an otherwise really good game. Um, so I thought, you know, because I've mentioned that before, maybe I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't repeat that. So the last you know, what, what the kind of main uh, ritual that my dad and I do every time we go to the Jays is um, before a game, we go to one of the hot dog vendors outside of the game and we get two hot dogs each, load them up with onions and ketchup um, and mustard and relish and everything. And uh, for those of you who have been to a Jays game before, outside the ballpark, there's often a gentleman who is a pretty talented drummer who yeah. drums on the bottom of buckets, like Home Depot buckets. And he's at every single game and he's got incredible rhythm. And uh, he performs right by the big fountain in between the aquarium and the Sky Dome and the CN Tower in that little triangle there. And uh, he just rocks it. And we mow down our hot dogs and watch uh, the drums and then go into the game an hour early so we can watch batting practice. And uh, that is my favorite thing to do at the ballpark. Uh, Bottom of the sixth, Christian, um, finish up this game. What about you? Um, so mine is kind of a three-parter, um, but, uh, one of mine is score the game. As we mentioned, every time I go to the ballpark, I'm getting a program, I'm scoring the game because as we mentioned, nerds. Um, and, but one of the things I like to do, which I started doing now, this is more so when we go to different ballparks, as we've mentioned before, our, um, baseball road trip idea and plan, um, is I always want to go and get whatever the signature item is 
at the ballpark. Mm, so, you know, yeah, they have yeah. like uh, every place has their, you know, yeah. signature item, whether it's the type of hot dog or or whatever it is, um, you know, typically. Well, now with a local ale or adult beverage, you know, of the particular area. Um, so I like to do that. One thing I also like to do when I go to the ballpark is if I haven't been to that ballpark before, and this is something we've done together, Chris, is I always buy the hat of that mm, particular yes, yeah, like, team that we've gone that. to. So Chris and I and our other friends uh, who have gone with us um, have started to amass quite the baseball cap collection. You um, were mentioning uh, signature things. And one of my favorite things uh, that you and I have experienced together was at Camden Yards. We got hot deep fried chicken wings. And in the condiment section, you can sprinkle Old Bay on them. Yeah, uh, and I, <laughs> I forgot about that. It's that kind of signature stuff that yeah. just makes ballparks so different. Do you want to know what great. I remember about going to Camden Yards, which has nothing to do with the with baseball? Do you remember there was like the Brony convention that yes! was in town happening at the same time? Right. So like Bronies for those who uh, people who don't know, it's yeah. it's basically grown ass adults who dress up as My Little Pony characters, uh, which again to each their own. Uh, but I remember we were walking to the ballpark and there were just all these grown ass people in like flamboyant unicorn outfits. And we had no idea yeah. what was happening because we're all like, we've, we've, we've got our baseball mitts and we're on our way to the game and then whatever. Anyway, we found out there was a brony convention at the convention center across the street. I just remember that. I mean, the lobster roll, of course, because <sighs> Baltimore, but um, I don't know why that's something I vividly remember. Um, Obviously, the cobblestone of Camden Yards. Whatever. Okay, we digress because, uh, uh, you know, rapid fire has become not so <laughs> rapid anymore. But in the interest of continuing into our baseball conversation, we will conclude rapid fire and go into um, our next topic of discussion, which I feel like we have to talk about, um, which is just the upcoming baseball season. Chris, I feel like a lot of our friendship um, has been founded and deepened and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Even challenged potentially um, through baseball. I How feel like a, a lot Cleveland of our fan? like. How are you growing up on the shores of Lake Ontario, a Cleveland fan? How are you and I the closest of friends and essentially don't share any professional sports teams in common? What I, I mean, yes, challenged indeed, my friend. Well, I think so growing up, um, and I think I've mentioned this earlier in 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 previous episodes, which is a lot of my fandom um, started with particular players. Um, mm. So as I think I mentioned, I'm a Detroit Red Wing fan, um, but that's because my dad is a Detroit Red Wing fan, and I grew up idolizing Steve Eiserman. Stevie Y. Right, and so and so that type of thing. So the one of the two of the players that I grew up idolizing um, were Omar Vizquel and Kenny Lofton. Wow. Um, so, so, yeah, wow. Wow. Good choice. And so they and so wow. they played for the Cleveland Indians at the time. Um, and so that's where, you know, Sandy Alomar Jr., uh, you know, all those types of guys. So that's really where my uh, fandom of the Cleveland baseball team came from. And so I didn't just kind of stuck with it, you know, much like I said, my Detroit Red Wing uh, fandom just stuck with it, um, you know, because obviously of Steve Eiserpin and then later Nick Lindstrom after that, this, that, and the other thing. But, yeah. um, and what three cups, four cups, right? Four cups in my lifetime, yeah, yes. Um, so and I've Good only really only recently experienced what it's like to not make the playoffs. Um, and I have to admit, I don't like it, but in <laughs> 33 years on this earth, I think I've only not seen them make the playoffs 
like two or three times. So again, I cannot <laughs> complain at all. Um, and so, and now I'm mad that they're winning games because I'm like, what are you doing? You're blowing your lottery pick because they're terrible now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I digress, wrong sport. Um, but Chris, I'm very interested to, to know because we haven't really had a chance to talk much baseball really um, yeah, since true. the season has started. It is very new in its, uh, in its um, development so far. So Chris, I'm very curious, what in particular has you excited or interested uh, storyline-wise about this upcoming season? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, so I have a couple of things that I'm interest, interested in. Uh, one is Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels. or the Are they still the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? They are the Los Angeles yeah. Angels of Anaheim, yes. I mean, essentially the Anaheim Angels. I get why they made California that Angels. That's yeah. The yeah. Angels I mean, in the outfield. That's all They've gone that's through all so many be. names. We know who they are. Also so the a really Angels, good baseball movie. Have Shohei Otani, you and I are both suckers for two really fun things that happen in baseball. One is batters pitching, uh, which is incredible. They all throw these kind of slightly soft fastballs right down the middle, but it's just so fun to see. Um, and then, of course, pitchers hitting, uh, which is also a really fun thing. Happens a lot, of course, in the National League, but still a really hot topic. Um, something that Major League Baseball is thinking about changing. Uh, is there a way that they could hybridize the American League and the National League? But we have it right here in front of us in Shohei Otani, a Japanese outfielder and starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels, have seen so many interesting permutations about how they might progress his career. Um, but he's essentially, I mean, he's a superstar hitter and a pretty awesome pitcher. Um, but the first time, I think it was in 100 years, that a pitcher has bat second in the lineup. Um, that's how talented he is when he uh, started. And, uh, of course, he torched the, the Blue Jays in their last series um, as a hitter. So I'm really interested in watching his career. Following on from the starting pitching issue, um, I'm really interested to see the evolution of that position. You and I were talking off air a little bit about the evolution of science and technology, how that's helped pitchers, how that's helped hitters. Um, and sort of the controversy around whether they should move the rubber back, move the mound back a little bit, the place where pitchers pitch from. They're doing that in the minor league American League with an eye to maybe introducing that in the major leagues down the road. Um, is there a way that they might change up the designated hitter, the so-called double hook rule, um, where once the starting pitcher comes out, you have to bat your relievers or a pinch hitter, just like they do in the National League. So essentially playing like the American League for the first five or six innings and then playing like the National League for the end of the game. Really, really interesting. Um, so I'm really interested to see how the starting pitcher uh, role and position develops over the next uh, few years, but in particular this season. And of course, we have to say it, we've avoided COVID as much as we possibly can this entire podcast. Ten episodes in, we are barely a mention, but I'm going to have to say it. The fact that there's really not a lot of fans for the vast majority of teams um, and how that impacts uh, home field advantage, just the differences between last season and this season, the increase of spots on the IL because of COVID. Um, it does really, I mean, I hate to say it, but it, it makes sports a little bit more interesting. Um, I'm still so excited for when fans can come back, but I'm, uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how home field is impacted by the uh, differences between the Texas Rangers having a full stadium, for example, and the Blue Jays having a sparse crowd in Dunedin, Florida. Um, so that is, uh, that's what interests me. So those are some of the things that I'm, uh, the hot topics that I'm kind of following this year. What about you, my friend? Uh, well, one thing I'm very interested in um, 
in in seeing really because we didn't get to see it last year because there were no fans, um, which we are seeing already this year is the reception and treatment of the Houston Asterix. Um, <laughs> and um, you can tell where I'm going with this and my feelings of on the subject. Um, but we've seen, um, you know, teams respond differently. So I think I think it was the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim who, when introducing them, introduced them with uh, Carrie Underwood's "Before He Cheats" um, as their like <laughs> intro music. I didn't um, know that. Actually, they're um, you know people that have been getting inflatable trash cans and throwing mm, them on the yeah, on yeah. the field. Uh, you know, booing players incessantly throughout their entire at bats. Um, and I'm going to say here, you know, I can, you, you know, maybe I'm full, you know, full 100% petty on this one. I am here for it. I am here for it um, because the players received absolutely no retribution for this and basically disproved that they cheated their way to a World Series and basically didn't get in trouble for it. Um, and so I know Dusty Baker, their manager, came out and was just like, oh, you know, we have to be, you know, uh, how long is this going to go on? And my answer is all year, Dusty, all yeah. year and probably into next year and maybe even the year after that, because cool. those players who were on that team of which now you have one, Chris, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into that topic yeah. at some oh, point. Um, all the players from that particular championship team are going to be forever uh, tainted in some way uh, for that. And frankly, in my opinion, deservedly so. But um, how long yeah. are they going to be treated as such? Um, I feel I like it's, it's going to be an interesting concept a, here. I feel like it's a little bit Commissioner Rob Manfred's, Manfred's fault in that he if he had penalized them accordingly, and, and that may include stripping their World Series title, I hate to say it, they would all be welcome back into the league. If they had been um, penalized accordingly, sure. you know, had their World Series title taken away, everyone would have been like, well, you know, sign stealing. Yes, we all knew it was illegal. It was maybe kind of a borderline issue at the time. Yes, it should have been penalized, but it's not quite like steroids. But we had never, ever seen a team employ it to this heavy, heavy degree of, of, uh, of efficiency and um, with with success, you know, with investigated success. Sure. Um, it's uh, it's unprecedented. And so if they had been penalized properly, this would have stopped. Nobody would have been, you know, throwing trash cans on the field or throwing shade at them from the mound or had any questionable feelings. They would have been like, well, they screwed up. They got penalized and they'll play on and that it wouldn't have been a problem. But it was because they weren't effectively penalized. They were like slapped on the wrist. Um, and obviously their management was penalized much more heavily than the players. Um, and so the players are still going to feel the brunt of it. Yeah, absolutely. Baseball is one of the few sports I feel like that, uh, you know, retribution comes, you know, whether whether uh, it is in the um, actual, you know, league mandated suspensions or in just the little things that happen on the field, you yeah. know, whether it's from the fans or otherwise fastballs past your uh, past your it, noggin. Exactly. Um, and so it is one of the unique aspects of baseball. Um, you know, in comparison to other sports, perhaps where it can, uh, it can, you know, it, these things find a way of, uh, of, of working themselves out. And also, uh, baseball teams and players and fans have very long memories. Mm. Um, so we think about, uh, I was actually just talking with, uh, one of my, uh, one of my best friends today and we were talking about Darren O'Day. 
um, mm, randomly yeah, because yeah. we were like, wait, he's on the Yankees. And yeah, my and was like, pitched a bunch remember, he was like, man, I hate that guy. And it just goes <laughs> back to his feud with Bautista. Right. Like right, it just that's right. what it goes back to. And it's just funny how like baseball fans and teams just have really long memories. Um, yeah. So, again, I uh, I am of the um, of the the mindset that, uh, yeah, I'm here for it. I am here for it. I will be full petty and I will make sure that Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa hear about it, uh, you know, as long as I possibly can. But <laughs> alas, Um but I thought it would be fun, Chris, if I may, to uh, maybe maybe have a little bit of fun uh, with with the baseball season and maybe make some predictions. Mm, yeah, I'm into it. I'm into so it. I think that we should make some predictions about this baseball season and then maybe kind of partway through check in, see how they're going. And at the end, see how incredibly wrong we were. Um, and maybe we'll make it interesting a little bit. What do you say? Yeah, I'm totally in. Do you uh, do you want to make it a little bit interesting? Yes, I I I think a, I think a wager is uh, is is well uh, well suited for this, but we can get into that maybe at the end once we've kind of made our predictions here. So we'll go through this right. quickly now, uh, listeners. I will admit we did uh, uh, look these up or write these down prior to, so this is a little less off the cuff here, but maybe that'll make it go a little quicker. Montreal here. Expos for every division. That's I mean, I, I really can't did. win that. That's just, yeah, yeah you're, that's guaranteed money for you. But, yeah. um, okay, so Chris, what I thought I would start with is, um, and we will post this also on Twitter and Instagram once this episode goes live. But um, And you can find us where, Christian? And we can find us, thank you, Chris, at at Loading Dad on Twitter or Dad Joke Loading Podcast on Instagram. And so um, what I thought, Chris, I would get us to start, and maybe we'll do uh, AL first and then NL second. How about that? Beauty. Yep. Um, so, Chris, I want to know your predictions for division winners and the wildcard team. So basically, who do you think makes the playoffs in the American League this year? Okay, beauty. Easy, easy peasy. So um, in the AL East, you know, this was a tough one, obviously. Toughest division in baseball, in my humble opinion. Um, Blue Jays look good this year. Red Sox looks look good this year, but nobody looks as good as the New York Yankees. They are stacked top to bottom. You put Judge and Stanton on a team, and those are the bombers. And then you got Garrett Cole. You got depth. I mean, you've just got an incredible team. Um, and uh, I had to say the New York Yankees. I'll get to the wild card in a moment, but I think the Red Sox and Blue Jays both have a shot there. So in the AL Central, uh, this was a tough one. Chicago White Sox are looking pretty good, but I went with the kind of tried and true, maybe a little bit more boring answer of the Minnesota Twins. I just feel like that's, I feel like they've got it in the bag this year. And then um, I had the toughest time deciding in the AL West. Um, I just came, I just, you know, got to the end of watching uh, the Angels J series, which was a tight first game, an Angels shellacking the second game, and then a Blue Jay shellacking in the third game. So I don't know where to go on them, but they've got a, he- uh, I was about to say hell of a team, but I guess I've said shit already this episode. So they have a hell of a team um, and they've got good pitching. The Astros are up there, but I'm going to go the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So Yankees, Twins, Angels as the division winners in the wild card. I had to go with my boys, the Toronto Blue Jays. I just feel that they've got an offense that kicks this year. And we'll get to their starting pitching in a little bit later in this uh, segment. But I feel like they they have what it takes to challenge for um, a wild card spot. Um, and I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox as my second. I think they've got a really, really excellent roster, um, young team, potential for growth and development. Uh, so I'm hoping for a Blue Jays, Chicago White Sox wildcard game. What about you, Christian? 
Well, this makes this wager a little less interesting um, because all of our playoff teams are exactly the same. Um, <laughs> the only difference being that I have the White Sox winning the Central. Um, I just think with their pitching and what they've added this year, Liam Hendricks in the bullpen, um, I think that their team is just better. Um, and so, and then I have the Twins in the wild card. Mm, um, okay. So I have Yankees, White Sox, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And then I have, um, I actually have Toronto hosting the Twins oh, in the wild card game. Hot fire. Well, excellent. I hope you're right. So hosting them in Dunedin, Florida, I guess. I'm hoping Buffalo. Oh, that would be amazing. I have heard that the front that Mark Shapiro's plan is Dunedin first, then Buffalo, and then Toronto, which seems a little crazy to me, but hey, whatever. I'm for it. Well, because if I, you know, if we can get fans in the stands and I can go to uh, Salem's Field and watch the, the Jays play a wildcard game, you kidding me? I'll be FaceTiming you from that and rubbing it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll start with my National League picks then, um, since you started with your American League picks. And so uh, for my division winners in the East, uh, the NL East, I had the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I think just with their lineup, uh, making sure or, you know, re-signing uh, Real Muto, uh, you know, pitching is, you know, they got some good pitching, but I mean, uh, you know, Bryce Harper, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, D.D. Gregorius, uh, Reese Hoskins, even Alec Baum. I mean, they're, I think they just got depth there. Um, and so I'm going to go Phillies winning the East in the Central. I have the Cincinnati Reds um, because frankly, I thought, oh, anyway, sorry, you go ahead. You go ahead. I, I, I'll comment on it when it gets to me. I apologize. Oh, okay. No, ahead. that's a problem. I should say I, I'm picking the reds because the rest of that division is garbage. Um, yeah. and in the West, uh, I just, uh, much like I, I, you, you know, we can't pick against the Yankees. I just can't pick against the Dodgers. Um, yeah, I absolutely. really wanted to pick the Padres. Um, but I just can't pick against the Dodgers. Um, of so, course. It's the most exciting matchup in baseball right now, the Dodgers and the Padres. I right. mean, it's just, it's so interesting and exciting and intriguing, but uh, you can tell Dodgers. they're both going for it because of each other, right? Like just all the Absolutely. things that they've gone. So, and then my wild cards, I have the San Diego Padres, uh, aforementioned, um, hosting the New York Mets. Mm, I'm mm. going to give the New York Mets a nod here. Um, mainly because I don't think a third team makes it out of the West. I don't really have any confidence of anybody in the central. Uh, and I think just adding Lindor, um, you know, going forward a little bit there, um, being a Cleveland baseball team fan, and then also having a Lindor jersey in my closet. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Lindor's new team, the New York Mets. Beauty, a team that you and I have seen live uh, both home and away, actually. Yes. Absolutely. We saw people get ejected fighting during a Yankees-Mets game. That was at Yankee Stadium, though, that right? Was at Yankee Stadium. Oh, yeah, that Subway right. Series. Yeah, they literally just, yeah, they just, like, they got arrested. <laughs> like, cops <laughs> literally cuffed them and dragged them away because they just full-out assaulted each other in the stands. Outfield, Sunday Night Baseball, if I don't, if I, I recall I believe that's correctly. right, and I thought, wow, I am not in Skydome anymore. <laughs> All right, what are your NL picks? Okay, so this uh, this was fairly straightforward, and, and we unfortunately agree on almost everything. There is one team that we have firmly different. So you and I have nine of ten teams the same in the playoffs, but one team is different. So I'll start with the NL West, because we agree totally on that. I've got the Dodgers over the Padres. Um, I mean, just incredible, as we've said, as we've said. Um, I, I thought I was going off the board with the Cincinnati Reds in the NL Central. I, I just thought that... They're not a good team, but as you rightly say, there's nobody else 
uh, in that division that you can really pick. Um, I would pick the Padres over the Reds. I'd pick both of the teams I'm about to mention in the NL East over the Reds. Um, but I think they're the best. Of I think they're just the best of a group. bad division. Yeah, absolutely. But here is where we differ in the NL East. So I had the Phillies in third and I had the Braves first and the Mets second. So the Mets making the wild card um, being hosted by the Padres. So our wild card team is, is exactly the same in that we have the Mets second in that division. But I have uh, the Braves in first, Atlanta in first, um, and uh, the Mets in second, and the Phillies in third. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a tight division. I think that could be the closest in all of baseball this year. Um, I think AL East as well. Uh, of course, Yankees and Jays has a chance. But top to bottom, uh, Braves, Mets, uh, Nats, Phillies, those are four good teams. And we won't talk about the Marlins. Um, so that's my summary for the National League. I've got the Dodgers, Reds, and Braves as the division winners and the Mets and Padres, uh, not in that order, Padres and Mets as my wildcard teams. Um, so those are my National League predictions. All righty. Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll maybe check in partway through the season, see what uh, what we're up against here, um, and then uh, and then go from there. And like we said, yeah, maybe we'll make it a little interesting as time goes on. So, um, all righty. Then just further predictions. Now, these ones are going to be a little bit more uh, kind of shot-in-the-dark type predictions, but I thought it would be fun to kind of pick some award winners maybe that we thought might uh, go, uh, you know, might rack up some hardware this year. Um, So Chris, what I want to know is who are your AL and NL Cy Young winners? Mm, This is a tough one. I mean, I have to go. Oh, sorry. You said Cy Young, right? Not MVP. AL and NL Cy Young. We will do MVP after this. Cy Young first. My, uh, my uh, Cy Young in the American League, this one was pretty straightforward to me. I've already talked about the New York Yankees and Garrett Cole and how uh, stacked that team is. Um, Cy Young voting doesn't necessarily follow traditional baseball metrics or by innings baseball metrics. It, it's, uh, it's cumulative stats and in particular wins, um, unfortunate as it is. And the Yankees are going to get wins. And Garrett Cole is a great pitcher on a top team and he's going to get the wins for the Cy Young. So I think in the American League, that one is pretty straightforward to me. The Cy, uh, the Cy Young in the National League, I was a little bit more torn on. Um, this, there's so many good candidates this year. Um, I went with Jacob deGrom of the New York Mets. Um, I just think he has this kind of incredible um, otherworldly power um, that you don't see that often. You talked about Randy Johnson earlier in this episode, and uh, he he makes me think uh, of him with that power. And uh, that's something, again, Cy Young voting doesn't doesn't follow. um, Well, it follows, you know, traditional baseball. Do you have the power? Do Do you have the stuff? Do you have the wins? Do you have the innings and consistency? And I think he's got it. What about you, Christian? Well, in the AL, um, this is where my fandom might have come in, but I went with Shane Bieber um, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the Cleveland baseball team um, just because I think that he is going to end up, I personally think he is going to end up with better stats than Garrett Cole. So Garrett Cole was basically my number two, Uh, but I think his stats are going to be better. Well, I agree with you that Garrett Cole will probably end up with a better win-loss record. I think that Shane Bieber will have better overall statistics for the entire year. Um, and so he will pull down the AL Cy Young. Um, I also have his jersey, so that uh, might have well, factored into go. it Guaranteed. as well. Um, in the NL, I had kind of had a coin flip, so DeGrom was one of mine. Um, but I'll go a different way. I'm going to go Trevor Bauer. Um, and okay. so former Cleveland baseball team as well. Um, but... 
I'm going to apply your logic here, which is that I just think that Trevor Bauer is going to have uh, comparable mm, stats, yeah. but it's probably going to end up with a butt ton more wins because he plays for the Dodgers. Yeah, I can't so like I could very easily see Bauer winning it with like a 16 and three record, but Degrom being like nine and eight, and yeah, but having absolutely. better statistics. So uh, well potentially overall. So uh, I uh, yeah. So I'm going to go with Trevor Bauer as my NL Cy Young, Shane Bieber as my AL Cy Young. So now that we have those then, all right, Chris, now we will go into the MVP conversation. Same thing, AL and NL MVP, who you got? There is no one that I can vote for for American League MVP, I think until the end of his career, other than Mike Trout. So, okay, then, okay, then I guess we should we should make an, uh, a qualifier on this, which is who is your non-Mike Trout MVP? Then, the, <laughs> like, right, because he's going to be in the yeah. conversation, of course. I feel like we need to at least talk about somebody else to, to make it interesting. But uh, if your answer okay. is Mike Trout, that's fine. But if you have a non-Mike Trout one, I would be interested to know that as well. Yeah, well said. So my, my Mike Trout is my number one. Let's start with that. But for the interest of conversation, um, I think my number two, I mean, there's a lot of good candidates out there. I think going by the Garrett Cole logic of how MVP and Cy Youngs are voted for, I think the ability that they'll have, just the talent top to bottom, the stats he's going to get, um, Aaron Judge. I think he's one of the, he's an otherworldly hitter. I think he's one of the best hitters in, in all of Major League Baseball. And um, yes, he doesn't play a premium position, which I know has been much more popular with MVP voters in the last 20 years compared to before that. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, sort of a, a traditional kind of MVP type candidate with uh, Aaron Judge. What about for the National League? Oh, yeah, we were, we're, we're doing both of these at the same time. So for the National League, my number one this year is Ronald Acuna Jr. Mm. Um, I know I picked Atlanta to be hot in the NL East, and I think they will be. He's just so young, athletic. The world is his oyster. Um, again, not, not a premium position, um, but uh, I just like his overall athletic ability, Ronald Acuna Jr. What about you? Um, all righty. Well, I uh, am actually going to uh, – so my non-Mike Trout MVP is actually somebody we referenced earlier in the episode, and I'm going to go with Shohei Otani. Mm, wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, because yeah. I just think he's going to benefit from the uh, never-seen-before kind of aspect of his game, where I watched the very first game he played this year. And while his stat line wasn't all that great, to be honest with you, he led off the like top of the first inning or he was batting second and just destroyed a home run. Mm. And then he went out in the bottom of the inning and I think he threw 12 pitches that were a hundred mile an hour or faster. Yeah, he had he had the stat that I heard was that he had the fastest uh, pitch of the season and the highest exit velocity of the season in the same game as a right. batter and pitcher. So just I just think wild. that us. Assuming he stays healthy, which I know has been his uh, crutch, you know, or it's, it's kind of like Aaron Judge. I think if Aaron Judge mat mashes home runs all year, I think your your bet is sound. Um, just he hasn't really been able to stay healthy for, for a whole year. Um, so it'll be nice. Well, no, it won't be nice to see a whole season of Aaron Judge because Yankees. But, um, <laughs> you know, so if Shohei Otani can stay in the lineup with any considerable consistency, I think um, just because of his wow factor of we've never seen this before um i think he's going to get a lot of mvp votes or at least a lot of looks assuming his stat lines can be um consistent so shohei otani um and then my nl mvp is actually going to be juan soto okay um, and fantasy team bias there but i get it 
Yeah, I mean, I have to, right? Ride or die with my guy. Um, but um, I just think from a stat standpoint, I think he's going to be really one of the only bright spots on an otherwise unfortunate Washington Nationals team. Uh, but I think he's just, he's so young. He's so, he's uh, in the same way that I think that you are voting for Ronald Acuna, just in that young um, kind of brash um fantastic hitter he does play um you know he does play the outfield sure um but uh you know i think he's just got an overall um game you know that i think a lot of people can appreciate you know with the speed um the defense the home run, the power um so i think juan soto is going to be my front runner for for nl mvp so beauty good choices all right well even though we don't have a lot of disagreement on the standings at least we can make it interesting with our MVP and Cy Young candidates. Absolutely. So we will check back in with those a little bit later uh, as the season progresses here. You know, may probably make reference to them, um, you know, as we go on. And, uh, you know, at least none of neither of us are going to be really out a whole lot of money. It's not like we're betting on uh, Ricky Romero or anything like that. So <laughs> uh, but uh, that being said, we will take a quick break here on the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Again, hit us up, dadjokeloadingpodcast at gmail.com, at Loading Dad on Twitter, Dad Joke Loading Podcast on Instagram. Uh, we will be right back. And uh, Chris is going to close us out with another recurring segment. But uh, take care. We'll be right back in just a second. Hi, I'm sound designer and composer Michael Spicer, and I want to help you with the audio in your podcast. Take your audience wherever you want, with locations like this relaxing meadow. That's nice. Except for that fox over there. Or maybe a bustling city is more your speed. Fox for sale. One fox for sale. Or maybe somewhere a fox wouldn't be, like next to an active volcano. Okay, if you need sounds or music for your project, go to michaelspicermusic.com! Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Um, I'm Chris, he's Christian. Uh, I'm joined by my cat here in my closet here in Ontario, Canada. And we're going to close out this week's episode of Dad Joke Loading um, with a story from the vault. So From the Vault is where we uh, take a look back at some fathers from history and kind of funny stories that they've done or that made us think about the type of fathers we would like to be. So um, I've, uh, I've watched a few uh, astronaut movies this week. I don't know why. It's just kind of in the mood. My, uh, my stepdad was really, really into sci-fi and we always watched together. And it was something that really uh, made a big difference to me in my life, whether it was Apollo 13 as a kid um, or First Man as an adult. Um, and so it got me thinking a little bit about some astronauts who were sci- uh, who were um, fathers as well this week. Uh, of course, that features prominently in First Man as uh, Neil Armstrong deals with the passing of his daughter, a scene that hit me so much harder now as a dad than mm. when I was uh, than before I was a dad. Um, but this week, I'm going to talk about a little bit more of a lighthearted story, and that's the brief story of Eugene Cernan. Uh, the astronaut who is popular, popularly believed to have been the only person to ascribe his, inscribe his daughter's name or initials anywhere off of the planet Earth. Um, so some people say that he did it on a rock called Tracy's Rock, which is a fairly important rock in the lunar community, let's call it. Um, but he actually did it in some space dust on the moon where he inscribed his daughter's initials. 
um, and forever leaving a little piece of him and his family behind. And it got me thinking, Christian, you know, when I was younger, I always thought about how cool it would be to be an astronaut. Um, the, my alternate career path, of course, was fighter pilot or NHL general manager, as, as we all do, obviously. I mean, those were those were back. That goes without really. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as an astronaut, I often thought about how cool it would be. But now as a father, all I can think about is how much I would think about my children the entire time and how much I would miss my wife and children if anything ever happened to me and how incredibly impressive it it is that these astronauts um, put their lives and their families on pause um, to go to uh, another another place outside of this earth. And so here's to Eugene Cernan, who left his daughter's initials on the moon um, and to fathers out there who travel in outer space. Um, so before we close out, Christian, do you have anything to add? Um, I think going into space sounds terrifying. So to <laughs> all of you astronauts out there, space explorers, uh, and all that, thank you for the work that you do. Um, because I will never be the one to do it. Yeah. Well said. Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. I get palpable fears watching like movies of people going into outer space. Do you ever like walk? It down, makes me almost like physically sick. Do Do you ever walk down like a wooden staircase and like one your heel kind of slips off one of the steps, um, and you kind of have to catch yourself on the banister for a moment? Yep. And you think, "Wow, my life almost just ended." I got to write this down because that was that was where things almost completely went south. Um, there are other people in the world who choose to launch themselves on a in a little steel capsule outside of the atmosphere on essentially a well-controlled bomb explosion below them. Um, I, I don't think me and my stair-slipping abilities are really what NASA is looking for. The fact that if there's a job description in there that has well-controlled bomb explosion underneath you in it, I'm probably not submitting my resume to Indeed. You know, like I'm just, you know, I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. And yeah, no, it's just, it's just not going to be in my, uh, in my repertoire here. So, uh, how yeah, would you kudos. feel? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say kudos to them. How would you feel if your daughter became an astronaut? Um, if that is truly what she wanted to be, I would, I would bite my lip. Yeah, um, well but I would, anytime that, uh, there was any type of, uh, you know, launch that she was involved in, I would probably be physically sick to my stomach and not that I would ever cheer for my daughter to fail at anything, but maybe there was just some like little, like, you know, medical thing that just didn't allow her to pass, uh, uh, you know, the zero gravity training. So I could be like, oh, I guess you got to stay on earth. Yeah. Darn that allowed it. her to be an astronaut and change the planet, but also somehow completely stay on Earth away from an exploding. Yeah, rocket. if she wants to work for NASA and and uh, but like on the ground, like if she wants to be Houston, you know that the uh, <laughs> you know that they call into, uh, but she's very much on the ground. Uh, totally fine with that. Um, you know, if she wants to drive the the Mars rover, you know, but like from Earth, I'm I'm good with that. But uh, yeah. Anything that involves, uh, much like myself, anything that involves a well-controlled bomb explosion (laughs) underneath my daughter, um, nah, not here for it. Um, But uh, but if she wants to, I'm sure as hell not going to stand in her way. It really should be a specification like, my my dear love, you can be anything on this planet. 
that you want to be at on all this in your planet. Keyword. Yeah, as long as it's on this planet. Yeah. As long as it's somewhere that I can give you a big embarrassing hug uh, and a kiss on the forehead and tell you how much I love you, then that job you can take. Yeah, but absolutely. if it's in outer space, we're going to have to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> So this has been another week of the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, we've really enjoyed chatting to you about baseball. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you. We've been waiting for 10 weeks to do this, and we are excited for another baseball season. Happy springtime. And we're going to be back with you next week with another episode of Dad Joke Loading Podcast. He's Christian. I'm Chris. Thank you for listening. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye.